deep inclusion in an organization is real inclusion in those informal networks, those very important sources of information and political insight and you know who knows who and where the resources are. So thinking about the type of network connections that people form, if we're left to our own devices, if we are not given any kind of guidance, if we are doing what comes naturally to us, we will fall into relationships with people who are like us. It's just human nature. We like people who are like us. What I'm not going to be as likely to do is form relationships with the vast majority of people who are still in influential positions in organizations. That's Inga Carboni, Associate Professor at the College of William and Mary and author of Connect the Dots, How to Build, Nurture, and Leverage Your Network to Achieve Your Personal and Professional Goals. Inga is talking about the importance of understanding and leveraging the science of organizational network analysis. Inga is my guest for this first part of this episode of ERG Power Talk on how to build superior networks. But before we begin, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors. Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Wisconsin Medical College, Mass Mutual, Lockheed Martin, Avenod, Daimler Trucks North America, and Sony Pictures Entertainment. Now, let's go straight to the program. Bingo, thank you for joining me today. So my first question for you is, what is organizational network analysis and how did you personally become involved with it? So organizational network analysis, we used to call it social network analysis, but then no one believes me that it's it's not about social media. So it's it's a way of capturing how people are related to each other in organizations. So it's kind of an x-ray of an organization. Um, you in various different ways, whether it's through a survey or through emails or through billable hours or something like that, you capture how people are connected to each other. And the wonderful thing about organizational network analysis is then you can translate something that's often soft and squishy to something very hard. You can get metrics, you can talk about significant differences and things like that. And you can get a real inside glimpse into how people are really relating to each other in an organization, you know, moving away from formal relationships, you know, who's reporting to whom, but who's really working together, who's really connecting with each other. Got it. So while the organization chart tells us who should be connected to whom in the organization, this tells us how people are actually working together. Exactly. You're, you're not really trying to understand how people are supposed to be connected to each other. You're trying to understand how people really are connected to each other. How is work really getting done uh, in this organization? 
So Inga, for our listeners who are mostly leaders of employee networks who are supporting DNI efforts, trying to create more inclusive organizations, why is this important? From a diversity and inclusion perspective, one of the great things about an organizational network analysis is you can understand if people are connecting to each other and how they're connecting to each other. So if you take the standpoint that deep inclusion in an organization is real inclusion in those informal networks, those very important sources of information and political insight and you know who knows who and where the resources are, if you're not really embedded in that set of relationships, just like everybody else's, you're really not fully included. Mm -hmm. And so being able to understand that, I I think it's critical. I think it's critical to inclusion efforts. Yeah, I agree completely. That's a great point, Inga. So I've heard you speak about this topic from three different aspects, and I'd love to delve into each one of those one at a time. So the first is the types of network connections that people make. Tell us more about that. Yeah, um, so that's a critical piece of um, network analysis. So thinking about the type of network connections that people form, if we're left to our own devices, if we are not given any kind of guidance, if we are doing what comes naturally to us, we will fall into relationships with people who are like us. It's just human nature. We like people who are like us. Less conflict, it's a lot easier, everybody gets our jokes, all that kind of stuff. But it's very dangerous from an inclusion perspective because if I'm more likely to form relationships with people who are kind of like me, um, then I'm more likely to form relationships, in my case, with white women uh, or maybe people who are parents and you know who share a lot of my characteristics. What I'm not going to be as likely to do is form relationships with the vast majority of people who are still in influential positions in organizations, and that is, in my case, men. So we tend to do not only go towards people who are like us, but we tend to like it when all the people we know know each other. And we form these little balls. I I call them sticky rice, right? Because everybody kind of clings to each other. And the idea is that everybody is comfortable with each other. We can sort of help each other. We can support each other. Um, If I know that Joe's having a tough time, I can reach out to somebody that you know and say, let's let's get together and and help Joe out or let's pitch in to support his project. Um, The problem is it becomes an echo chamber. And not only are we hearing all of the same ideas, but even when we come up with a new idea, because everybody else is like us, and so they read similar things to what we do, they look at the same kinds of news sources, everybody thinks it's a great idea, but we forget how much we're being shaped by that very similar worldview. So sticky rice is a a great strategy when you're thinking about your friends at home or um, maybe you're thinking about your family, but it's a real hazard in the workplace. It's a significant disadvantage if you are in sticky rice clusters. You know, Inga, as I was just listening to you, I was thinking how easy it is to become basically a sticky rice cluster when you're in an 
employee network since by their nature they are groups of people that share some social dimensions that uh, bind them together and as you said that's a good thing but in order not to restrict them uh, especially their ability to grow in the organization they they need to fight that is that is that basically what you're saying that we have to enjoy the benefits of that sticky rice condition but we have to make sure that we don't become trapped by it you're absolutely right. Um, employee resource groups, I'm a big fan, and as, as you know, and I know you are too, and they do some really powerful things in organizations. Things that they do really well um, are working with people to develop individual skills. They provide a great home for people to share issues and bubble up concerns. Um, it, it's a, a great way to enhance people's feeling like they belong. There's other people like me here. One of the areas where they sometimes fall short is connecting people to those sources of influence. So you don't see a lot of white men ERGs out there, right? Um, the ERGs are focused on people who haven't been, who've been historically underrepresented um, and who aren't feeling fully included. Uh, so it's a great place for a lot of things. What it's not great for is connecting to those pockets of influence. Um, and I think uh, ERGs can do a lot to help people both at the individual level to develop strategies for making sure that they develop those connections. There's also things at the organizational level that ERGs can support and promote because it does, it really does involve a culture shift to start thinking about forming relationships in a different way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So another thing that I've heard you talk about is the way that people make their connections. And I was recently looking at this article uh, where you were being quoted and it talks about how you're not really a fan of networking events and the whole business card exchange approach. Tell us why that's the case and what alternatives you recommend. Yeah, networking events. Um, <laughs> you know, I've talked to so many organizations um, and they throw all these networking events. We're doing a lot of stuff to promote employees talking to each other, but there's just so much research that shows that you go to a networking event and you're going to talk to, first of all, you're going to talk to people who are kind of like you, um, maybe somebody you sort of know. Um, and then the second thing is, Everybody in the room feels like they're there to get something from someone else. You know, I want to get contact information. I want to get things from people. that are, And that is really the opposite of relationship building. And that's what networking is. Networking isn't what can I get from people. Networking is building real authentic relationships uh, where there's, you know, there's mutuality, there's, um, there's a sense of positivity, there's respect. There's a, it's not a, a schmoozing kind of endeavor. So I tell people, yeah, you know, a networking event's probably better than nothing, but it's not a lot better than nothing. <laughs> um, you're much better served by trying to find activities that you already enjoy or passionate about or interested in and doing them in new places. So the opposite of sticky rice is building bridges, right? Building bridges to all these little pockets. And we know that people who build those bridges, uh, they get promoted faster, they make more money, they're more likely to be tapped as top talent, they're more likely to be involved in innovation. Lots, decades of research supports this. Um, because it's a little hard to do, 
right? You got to move yourself out of your comfort zone. Yeah. So there's lots of ways of looking for those opportunities. Um, task forces are great opportunities. Um, what I'm seeing a lot of organizations do is understand the potential of gig rotations uh, in the organization. Um, so that's a, a case where uh, different parts of the organization have a job, you know, 10 hours, two weeks, something like that. Anybody within the organization can apply for it. Uh, it's uh, accepted within their unit that they can give time to that. And so they go do this gig. And that's a way of building relationships. People get to see your work. People get to see what you're, you're made of. Um, and and there's, there's lots of other sort of examples of that. And you, if you've been watching my reading my transcript you know I can go on and on about this topic because it's something I'm very passionate about uh, but there are many better alternatives the first place to start think about what you already have an interest in you're going to be much more authentic if you're doing an activity that you already have an interest in and then do it in a slightly different place I remember talking to one woman who told me one of the best networking she ever did was taking part in a running group uh, at her organization because everybody from all different parts of the organization came there and that's how they got to they all enjoyed running and they got to know each other and then those relationships continued that's an excellent example Inga do you have any examples directly involving employee networks yeah I've seen ERGs do a couple of really innovative things so um, some of the more progressive ones are finding opportunities to bring senior leadership into contact with people in the ERG. So what they do is they find passion projects for the people uh, in the ERG and they find sponsors among the senior leadership and then they work together. So you're not having, what often happens, right? The senior leadership comes, they give a talk. We think this is so important that all the great work you're doing, thank you very much. And then they kind of, you know, go, back to their office. Um, but instead, there are ERGs that are, are finding these projects, putting senior leaders together, and I'm thinking particularly here of uh, some women's ERGs that I know about, so they get to see the skill set uh, of the women that are they're working with, and they get to know them a little bit, and they get to start that, that very important relationship. I've also seen ERGs do some very innovative things outside of the organization. So um, one large multinational firm does inter-organizational mentoring. So it, again, I'm thinking of, of women's ERGs, and, the, and they're connecting uh, women from one organization to women who occupy similar roles in other organizations. And the idea is that they're cross-pollinating, they're sharing their ideas back and forth, they can maybe perhaps be in some cases a little more free about certain things, they don't have to worry about political implications, maybe some ways not quite as free. And that's been enormously successful with that one organization, they're rolling it out in, in multiple areas. I've also seen organizations that are trying to drive those relationships by hosting conferences uh, and panels on those conferences and then giving away tickets to the people in the ERG. And the people in the ERG have to uh, connect those tickets with people who are outside the ERG. And I've seen it actually work the other way around too, where they give tickets out to senior leadership and they tell senior leadership, you've got tickets, everybody's got two tickets. Uh, you've got to find um, two women 
that you or two people of color, depending on what your ERG is, um, that you're going to uh, go with and serve on a panel with or you're going to connect with uh, at this conference. And that's been pretty successful. I've also seen ERGs contribute to a culture of relationship building across difference um, by very thoughtful messaging. So storytelling with books on websites, on blogs, where they're talking and highlighting relationships that are going uh, across boundaries, people who've reached out. I've often seen a lot of ERGs are also connected to the communities. Serving on a board is a wonderful way to form new relationships because you're often at an organization that you're yep. interested in and you're passionate about. It's, it's a wonderful way. Um, and so a lot of organizations and ERGs in particular are sponsoring those opportunities, uh, connecting people to boards, uh, connecting people to community organizations to start forming those relationships. That's a great list of ideas, and I'm sure it's going to get a lot of people thinking about a lot of things that they can do in their employee networks. Now, one of the other things that I've heard you talk about relative to this topic is the third thing here, which is being an efficient networker. So talk to me about that, because as we all know, employee network members and leaders are busy people, they have day jobs and so forth, and if they build a really large network, what are some of the things they can do to efficiently sustain and nurture those connections? I think there's two parts to what you're asking. So one part is building relationships and thinking about building relationships in a new way. And I think for a lot of people, prioritizing building relationships, because I think it's still not clear to a lot of people just how impactful who you know is. Um, and then even with people who understand that, they sometimes think, well, I'm not going to buy into that whole system. That's, that's cheating. Um, but it's actually a critical leadership skill to be able to be connected and understand what's going on in an organization. So I think in the, in the front end, building those kinds of relationships can seem like an added burden which is one of the reasons why I suggest that people think very strategically about a very few activities that will give them high quality contacts, the ones that they want to be building and that are important to them. And it's not just random, you know, who I'm going to bump into at the, at the networking event or something like that, but they're people who are sharing something that is important to you, um, who are the kind of people who are not necessarily in your network, whether that's level or department or unit or industry um, that are going to be adding a benefit to uh, what's going on in your network. And then the, the second part of that is uh, how do you sustain that? Well, that's where some social media comes in. One of my colleagues is a digital media expert and she says 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a day sort of managing your social media um, pushing out any kind of new updates about your life, taking a look at new and remarkable things going on in other people's lives, just sending out a short message, a short note, hey, recognize that what's going on in your life, just a very low-touch way of maintaining uh, relationships. What you can't do is have dinner every night with somebody or lunch every day, and I'm a mega introvert, so for me that just that is not appealing at all. Um, you can't be best friends with everyone, but you can be uh, well-respected and positive colleagues with a lot of people. And social media sort of really helps you with that. The backside of that is these relationships are going to save you time in the long run. So it feels like something new that you're doing. It feels like I'm spending all this time on here. 
But now you're going to be getting a, a group of people together, a real network, real relationships where there's mutuality, there's learning, there's positivity. There, and these are the people that you're going to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, I'm facing this problem. Uh, have you ever faced something similar in your area or your unit or your industry? Can you share with me what you've learned? Or, or, you know, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me with, with X. You know, do you know anybody? All the kinds of stuff that we do pretty naturally with the people in our, what we'll pop, some of us maybe call our social circle rather than our network. But those things over the long term pay off in a big way. There's other payoffs too. You get insights. For instance, if you, the network that you develop within your organization, you get insights into um, what might be the next best way to push through your, your new initiative. Uh, you understand how what you're doing has impact all over the organization. Well, that's really useful information. Information that's going to save you a lot of time and frustration when you're trying to accomplish your work. So, I think part of it is there's some wonderful things out there. There's some also some technologies that will tell you when to nudge somebody. You know, you haven't contacted them for a while. So it doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's a shift in mindset, and the payoff is huge. That's good advice. That's pretty easy to implement, actually, Inga. So you just mentioned before the word boundary spanning and for those of my listeners who may not know what that is can you define what you mean by that term so boundary spanning i mean that taps into that idea of bridges that i mentioned before forming these different bridges into different pockets of an organization and industry um, but also forming spanning the boundaries that sometimes separate us and ergs are often sort of formed around demographic backgrounds, women, multicultural, people of color, maybe people um, who are differently abled, and knowing how to span those boundaries. Boundary spanning is a way of pulling resources from different parts of the network and then also distributing those resources, right? It's, that's how people work together. They work through people, right? You connect, you talk, you share information, you share a- advice. Yeah. When you have a boundary spanning team or an ERG, you also are connecting to that kind of resource elsewhere in the organization or industry. You're getting those insights, you're getting that information, and you're also able to share that back out. I've been interviewing uh, leaders of top performing teams and asking them how they're managing uh, their networks. And many, many of these, uh, I'm about 70 interviews into a 100 interview project, are telling me that one of the first things they do with their team is sit down and say, okay, who are our stakeholders? And how do we form relationships with them? And who's best positioned, who already has that relationship and who needs to form that relationship? They've been telling us that they spend 25 to 50% of their time managing relationships outside of the team. It's that important to getting the team's work done. So that's critical for ERGs to be thinking about too. How can they tap in not only to other ERGs, but other important stakeholders in the organization? Yeah, I love all those ideas. I think that they're pretty straightforward and easy to apply. You know, Inga, another thing that you talk about often is this whole thing about how people avoid networking sometimes with people who are different from them because they feel inauthentic approaching uh, these other people. What's your advice? How do you overcome that? That's a great question. And I think there's a couple of components to it. So, One component to it is 
when you are thinking about building those relationships, what kind of what you're doing is sometimes there's specific relationships you want to build, but often there's just, I'm not with, I'm not connecting with anybody who's, uh, you know, much younger than I am, or I'm not connecting with anybody in finance or, or, or something like that, so that you want to make sure that your network has some, some range and some breadth to it. So one of the key aspects of that is finding an activity that you already enjoy right? Something that you have a desire, a passion, an interest in. Once you find that activity, you've already got something in common with all the people that you're meeting through there, right? And it's just a matter of finding the ones that you click with, right? So you're positioning yourself, you're putting yourself in a position where you are likely to have somebody, something in common with something else, somebody else. Not just uh, an activity or something that you have a passion for, but something that you need to collaborate with others for. This is why conferences can be um, it sounds like a great idea. You're getting exposed to other ideas, uh, and that is true, but you very easily can go to a conference, sit there, take notes the whole time, and never really interact in a meaningful way, right? Except maybe at the, the networking event, right? It, um, at dinner time or something. But serve on a panel, volunteer to participate in a committee, get on an industry group. Those are things that show you, have you working together with people, working towards a, a shared goal. And that is a very powerful way to build a relationship. So one piece of this is just setting yourself up with the right activities, staying away from those networking events and using that time instead and, and getting a panel going, getting a discussion going. So that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it to get over the discomfort of interacting with people and yet feeling authentic one of the reasons that people have such a hesitance to do this or hate the idea of networking, oh, networking is slimy, I'm not going to network, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to be one of those people, is this idea that networking is something I do to get stuff, right? I'm trying to manipulate people, I'm using them to get something. That is not what I advocate. I advocate mutuality in relationships, just like you have with all the other relationships uh, in your life. So networking is just relationship building. And one of the best ways to shift your mindset on that is to think, I'm not going to go in with this idea of what can I get from people. I'm going to go in with this idea of what can I give to people? What do I have to offer? And you know, even if you're quite junior in an organization, you've got your perspective, you've got your enthusiasm, you've got uh, information that you don't realize maybe, but you have access to and that other person doesn't have access to. I'm constantly reminded about that when I hear my kids talk and I, it's like hearing another language, this, the slangs and the, the things that they're referencing. That's important stuff for people to know. Um, so... Shifting your mindset to leading with giving, being in a place where you're engaged in an activity that you have a sincere interest in, that really sets you up to have an authentic relationship. That's great advice. So Inga, we're getting close to the end of the program now, and I know that this for me is my eighth go-around, and I've learned a lot, as I always have before, but I also have a lot of questions. So what resources do you recommend for people who want to take a, a deeper look into this topic? And let's start with your book, Connect the Dots. Sure. Um, I'm always happy to talk about my book. Uh -huh. uh <laughs> Connect the Dots, uh, how to build, nurture, and leverage uh, your network to meet your personal and professional goals. In there, I really lay out, and what I, I hope is an entertaining way, um, I really lay out why 
we need to network, why it's important to do it, and then really very practically how to do it. If you go through the, the book and you do the exercises and you ask yourself the reflection questions, you'll come out with a plan, uh, a very concrete takeaway uh, plan for uh, networking to, that w is highly likely to improve you professionally and I think personally uh, as well. I've tried in the book as much as I possibly can. I've brought in some business cases, people that I've talked to, uh, events, current events that are going on, looking at them through a network lens to show how a, an appropriate network supported a positive outcome and oftentimes how an inappropriate network derailed um, an outcome or an endeavor. I do have some special topics in there. Uh, one that I've probably gotten the most passionate about lately is some of the significant and special challenges and barriers facing people who are from historically underrepresented groups, some of which we talked about, uh, which is sort of this, if you drift to who you are similar to, you're going to be drifting to people who are historically underrepresented, which is problematic. Um, but there's other barriers as well in terms of experience and expectations and how people respond to your networking. And I talk about that and I give some strategies for addressing some of those. There's lots of other good resources out there. A good uh, colleague of mine, um, Rob Cross, has written a lot about this in popular press when Harvard Business Review and Sloan Management Review. Um, he's got a book um, that's driving results through social networks that he wrote with um, his collaborator, Thomas. That lays out the foundation of the organizational network analysis piece. You know, I'm always trying to share that we're looking at two different pieces of this. So one is, what can I as a person do to influence and change and maximize my personal professional network, but then also looking at it as an organizational level, um, how can we sculpt this organization to really unleash the potential of the expertise and experience and information that's already uh, among the people here. So he's got some good stuff. I think um, Wayne Baker just wrote a new one. I actually haven't had time to read it, but he's uh, somebody I admire saying, all you have to do is ask. Uh, he comes from the the uh, network tradition, and he knows how to generate uh, this resource-rich, giving uh, uh, network where everybody who's connected to each other starts collaborating together more effectively. He's actually done a lot of research that shows that giving is good, not just to shift my mindset, but because it sparks giving in return, and not just from the person that you're giving to, but from the person who watches me um, giving to somebody else. And it really sort of Cult, uh, nurtures a, um, a culture of collaboration uh, and, and information sharing. Reed Hoffman uh, wrote a wonderful book. Uh, so he's the founder of LinkedIn and PayPal. And this is five years out now, but it's called The Alliance Managing Talent in the Networked Age. And he's got some fabulous suggestions in there, really grounded suggestions in there for how organizations can boost their networks. Um, just one that I talk about uh, a lot is the need for alumni networks. And I, I know a bunch of organizations that are doing this, and they are powerful. So when people leave the organization, you keep them in your alumni network, right? Um, not only are they more likely to boomerang back, um, but they're 
continued resource. They're also great for um, promoting your personal brand. And I haven't seen it in ERGs, but I would recommend that ERGs start this, is that they also keep team-level alumni network. And I can imagine an ERG-level uh, uh, alumni network where you are helping people um, and you're connecting them to people who ha are in other industries, maybe as role models or mentors, uh, and you're able to keep that sort of resource-rich flow of information going. I think I just would point out maybe one more. This was also a couple of years ago. Um, and it's a book by Nicholas Christakis uh, and Jim Fowler called Connected, The Surprising Power of Networks. Um, and one of the things they show in there is just how much what goes on in our lives is influenced by the connections that we have. So they what they found is that I am more likely, for example, I'm more likely to be obese, not just if my friends are obese, and not just if their friends are obese, but if the friends of my friends are obese. People I've never met who may live a thousand miles away, I am more likely to be obese. And they show this in a really lovely way with um, long-term data of a, of a town that was studied for over 50 years. So a uh, fascinating, fascinating read. So, But uh, oh, I could go on all day. There's lots of good stuff out there for people who are interested. And I'm always happy to talk to people as well about this. Thank you for that excellent list of resources, Inga. And before we leave, where can people find your book, Connect the Dots? Probably the best place to find it is on Amazon. I've got a link on it to, on my website, but it's going to just take you to the Amazon page. So um, either place is fine. Great. Thanks again, Inga. I'm sure you've given everybody a lot to think about, a lot of wonderful ideas that they can begin to put to work right away. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. So let's stop and reflect on what we've learned in this first half of this program from Inga. One, organizational network analysis is the study of how people in a company are actually connecting with each other. Who informally talks to who? Two, due to our human nature, we are likely to talk to and stick with others with whom we feel we have something in common. In an ERG, that can become, say, a Hispanic ERG that only connects Hispanics to other Hispanics. And that can become an echo chamber. Three, Inga shared a number of different tips and ways to break out of our human tendency to create these echo chambers by sticking only with others like ourselves. By following her advice, we can create more inclusive, nurturing, and influential groups without spending a lot of time working on our networks. And finally, four, Inga also noted that these same tips can help us to build better personal networks, as well as networks that are more influential and nurturing and inclusive for our ERGs. When we come back for the second half of this episode, we're going to be talking to two other guests. The first is a consultant who's been using organizational network analysis as a tool for improving organizational inclusion. And the second is the CEO of a company that provides a tool that will help you to track in real time the evolving state of your ERG's inclusiveness and intersectionality efforts. Stick 
stick with us until the very end and find out how you can get a hold of this tool right now for free. Before we continue, let's pause to learn a little more about Inga. Inga is another one of our learning partners. So the good news for you, if you are working for one of the seven companies sponsoring this podcast, is that you'll have an opportunity to meet with her in our upcoming live training webinar. But regardless of whether you are working for one of our seven sponsors and will get to meet her or not, here's a little bit more about Inga, her work, and how you can reach her. I'll talk to you on the other side. For more than 20 years, Inga Carboni has helped individuals and organizations increase engagement, innovation, and leadership effectiveness by applying the science of networks and network analysis to the development and management of positive, professional, and productive relationships. She has served as a consultant for Fortune 500 firms, leveraging the network insights to build more gender-inclusive organizations. Inga is the author of Connect the Dots, How to Build, Nurture, and Leverage Your Network to Achieve Your Personal and Professional Goals. And her work was most recently featured in Harvard Business Review. An award-winning teacher and researcher, Inga Carboni is a professor of organizational behavior at the College of William and Mary. For more information, visit www.ingacarboni.com. That's www.ingacarboni.com www.ingacarboni.com And we're back with our first guest for the second half of this episode. Hi, my name's Christian Baldia, and I am the head of Constellation Strategy and Analytical Services. And we work as a organizational development-oriented management consulting firm that focuses a lot on change management and organizational network analysis. And we uh, help organizations of all sizes with their organizational development issues. That's great. Well, thank you for joining us today for the program. I'm going to jump right in with my first question for you. Christian, you once told me a story about how you got started in this work which I think our listeners will find really interesting. Can you share it again? So I had been working uh, for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York as what they call a social slash economic policy analyst. And uh, after 9-11, directly after 9-11, I was tasked with studying how Al-Qaeda finances itself. And in the midst of my research, I discovered that this tool called organizational network analysis was being used to study terrorist groups and how they communicate with one another, how they collaborate. And through this, uh, this analysis, which provides this, this like a spider web-like diagram of these connections, one could learn a great deal about how these organizations function so that one could take action uh, against them, right? So uh, after I discovered this, I was like, wow, this is really, this is a really fascinating approach. Um, so I started delving into it and I learned how it was done, the software that they used to do this and who the big names in, in the, uh, the field were. And I realized, well, this, this could be used not only for terrorist analysis, but could be used to understand regular organizations like companies and a lot of interesting applications could be uh, that these could be used for. And so uh, I decided to start 
this this company uh, Constellation uh, SAS thus uh, began um, this this really interesting business. That's a great story that illustrates the fact that you came at this from a practical business perspective as opposed to an academic research perspective. You know, during our conversation earlier this week, you mentioned how organizational analysis tools could be used to establish a more reliable sense of an organization's inclusion than the usual surveys that assess how people feel about the organization, whether they feel included or not. And as I was listening to you, I have to say, I completely agree with you because a survey that asks people how they feel might give you a sense of their own perception of how they belong and how they fit into the organization. But it doesn't necessarily tell you who they're connected to, who they're interacting with, and to what level and to what degree compared to other people in other groups. So I, I really thought that was fascinating. So tell us a little more about that. Sure, sure. So as you know, uh, Joe, and this is kind of how we we first met uh, many years ago, I had worked in diversity and inclusion uh, for a number of years. Uh, and I, uh, you know, found that the, the ways to measure diversity were, you know, pretty straightforward. You know, you count the number of people in each group you're interested in, whether it's, you know, uh, women or disabled people or veterans or, you know, different ethnic groups. And then you calculate percentages and whatnot. And, you know, it's pretty straightforward. But when it comes to the concept of inclusion, right? That's, that's a little bit more intangible. That's, that's a little bit more, uh, you know, harder to see. And the current ways that I had seen companies measure inclusion, I, I wasn't, you know, didn't really make sense to me. Uh, you know, some companies would use, or I would say many companies who do DNI um, uh, assessment work will send out questionnaires uh, to their employees saying, you know, do, um, you know, they're asking them about uh, whether they feel their, their organization is inclusive or not and things along that uh, route. And that's, you know, that, that can be useful in, in many ways, but it, it really is very limited when it comes to really measuring inclusion, right? Someone could feel like they're uh, in an inclusive environment, but not realize that they're actually being excluded from some very important uh, relationships, some very important uh, networks within the organization, right? Now, you know, that, that's, you know, what I guess many companies think is the best they can do. But if you use organizational network analysis and you look at who's connected who first from everyday work, and then you compare it to who is connected to various people through very important networks like uh, mentoring networks, for example, right? Uh, or certain types of uh, high-level information networks, right? What you can uncover is there are certain people that are, are not included, in a lot of those areas, right? And so, um, you know, it, it's, I think it's just a m much more accurate way, more objective way, certainly, uh, to measure inclusion in an organization. 
I completely agree with you, Christian, because it seems to me that what the survey is measuring is the person's perception of belonging, which is a good thing to measure, as you mentioned before, but it doesn't necessarily uh, measure how included they are in the overall organization when it comes to access to resources, people, etc. So that's great. So let's turn our attention now to how all this applies in terms of ERGs. Absolutely. So uh, from the study of organizational networks, we noticed that there are certain people that play particular roles. Uh, there are people we call central connectors who are very, you know, have, have a lot of connections and, uh, you know, very strong uh, connections in there. Uh, and then we have uh, a different group um, called boundary spanners. They, now, they may not have quite as many connections or strong connections as the central connectors, but what they have is a very diverse uh, connections to different parts of the firm. And they, they connect different parts of the organization or the group uh, that are substantially different from one another. And, and these kind of people are extremely important. They are extremely important for a lot of progress in the firm. Now, typically, uh, what we know about human nature is that humans tend to gravitate towards people who are more like themselves. It's just human nature. There's uh, value in that, you know, safety and uh, whatnot. Uh, you know, and this is, this is a uh, phenomenon that actually has a name to it uh, called homophily. Homophily is the tendency to want to uh, gravitate towards people who are more like yourself. Now, what a lot of boundary spanners uh, exhibit is something called heterophily, which is the opposite. They are attracted also to people who are very unlike them. And what we find is that uh, the, the best way to, uh, you know, make these diverse connections is, is to, you know, connect through others, uh, you know, who are different from you, but share some common uh, element and connect that way. Now, ERGs are built specifically just for that. Right, so you're taking people from all over the organization. You know, maybe some people from finance, some people from sales and marketing, some people from research and development. Right, people who would normally not hang out with one another, right, and would normally be in their silos. Right, and they typically talk to mostly people in their own department, and you bring them together based on a common bond or affinity. And it could be, you know, women, you know, uh, women's groups. It could be veterans. It could be, you know, um, you know, Asian Pacific American groups, right? You bring them together and then you get all sorts of synergies that happen as a result. You get more, you, you're literally creating more boundary spanners, which is extremely important for one's uh, career personal career, as well as the good of the company. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's say as you look at your network, you find, wow, we've got all of these different people that we're bringing together, creating more boundary spanners there across different parts of the organization, accounting, marketing, etc. But is that enough or do you need other types of diversity and inclusion to make that network even stronger? 
Sure. Well, you know, it, it may be very diverse in, in one sense with the different departments, uh, but you're not getting the diversity uh, of different levels on there. And as we know with uh, in, the, in the field of DNI, it's it's very important for people from underrepresented groups to find uh, good mentors and good sponsors, right? And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's important to, to, to find these mentors and sponsors at levels above you. Uh, and so you, we, could, we can measure whether or not in, uh, a, a, an ERG is, is doing that by, uh, you know, gathering information about the, the, the members and analyzing that and, you know, comparing it to or also using the network connections uh, to see if the, the, these, these strategic relationships are being built or not. And how exactly would you recommend that they do that? Well, I, I, I can't, I can't completely give away the secret sauce. Uh, <laughs> That's my middle name, secret sauce extractor. <laughs> now, yeah, there, there, there are folks, there are folks who, who, who uh, specialize in organizational network analysis who can definitely come up with this on their own. Uh, so it's, it's not like I'm, I'm uh, inventing the cure to cancer or anything like that. So I'd rather I'd rather uh, speak in more general terms uh, about this. Um, it, it really, you know, it, it's it's using uh, a traditional approach by asking people uh, who they connect to in various circumstances, right? So, for example, we might ask a specific question about um, who do you go to for information about your daily work routine, right? And that might show us like a very general type of work network, right? Um, I could also ask a different question. Uh, who do you go to when you want to really find out what's going on in the company, right? So this is sort of like looking at where those uh, grapevine networks, who's, who's connected through the water cooler you know, type of, of network. Um, and then you collect other types of uh, uh, information for, to map out other kinds of very critical networks, like who is mentoring whom. Then what you do is you look at uh, those members who are in an ERG and you, uh, you, you introduce data about where they are in the organization, what level they're at, you know, are they at the C-suite level? Are they at the executive vice president level, vice president level, manager? you know, frontline worker or, or what have you. And by combining uh, those uh, different attributes, right, you can see uh, where the ERG is very good um, in terms of building these sorts of connections and where they fall short. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So let's say, for example, an organization has a number of ERGs and they go through that kind of exercise where they assess who are our members connected to, who are our chairs connected to, and how are we leveraging all those different relationships? I would imagine then that if you see gaps in certain areas, that that gives you an opportunity to then go out there intentionally and look for ways to fill those gaps. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I like in uh, organizational network uh, analysis maps to uh, using an x-ray. So an X-ray isn't going to fix your broken bones, but you need the X-ray to see where the bones are broken and you know how to set the bone properly. So that's that's vital information. 
that you need. Once you have that information, then you can take steps to, to fix it. That's really how the net network analysis plays a critical uh, role. Since it's human nature for people to look for others that are like ourselves, what do you advise ERGs and companies do to increase the broadening of our relationships so that we become even more inclusive in our ERGs and in our companies? You know, it, like I said, it's it's human nature to be uh, attracted to people who are more like yourself. Becoming uh, a boundary spanner, um, trying to become, uh, you know, gain more of a uh, heterophily type of approach means trying to get outside your comfort zone, right? And connect with people who are different from you. Like, you know, just take, take any high school cafeteria. For the jock to go sit down with the arts people, it might take a little bit of courage. The jock would rather hang out with the other jocks, right? And the arts people would rather hang out with the other arts people. But if all these different groups, if the people in the different groups, you know, are, are willing to get outside their comfort zone, then they'll be able to connect with people who are different from them. And, you know, they'll probably find some common ground nonetheless. And I would say that all those people involved would be richer for it. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking back at times when I have met a person who I thought was totally different from me and then discovered that there were some hidden qualities they had that I had that wouldn't jump out at you, but that formed potential for affinity between us. Would organizations benefit by creating more opportunities for people to become aware of those hidden connections? Absolutely. You know, these commonalities can come from all sorts of different, you know, sources. You know, back when there used to be a lot more people smoking, there were a lot of cases of diverse people connecting in a company just because they were smokers and they all met in the smoking area outside or the smoking lounge. A lot of strategic uh, connections have been made among smokers uh, just because of that. It doesn't have to be something as, as bad for your health as that, of course. Yeah, no, we don't want to create more smokers. So Christian, how can people reach you if they want to connect with you? They can certainly email me directly at CMB. Those are my uh, my initials, Christian Michael Baldia, CMB at Constellation, S-A-S, Dot com. Uh, that's also uh, my website, constellationsas.com. They can uh, check out my, my company website and uh, learn more about uh, what we do. That's fantastic. Christian, thank you for joining me today. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure for me as well. Okay, now let's turn our attention to our last guest for this episode. My name is Brian Vigents. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Culture HQ. And we have a platform that helps organizations foster meaningful connections through more inclusive events, programs, and networking. And it also captures unique data to help leaders truly measure the impact of all their efforts. Brian, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. So here's my first question for you. Your company is currently branching into supporting ERGs as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizations. What are you specifically seeking to do? ERGs are one of the main vehicles to cultivate a culture of belonging and to really spearhead a lot of these diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in a nice organic and grassroots way. But ERGs, from what we've seen, are limited in so many different ways. 
And we did a ton of research and information gathering and really digging into the dynamics of ERGs across many different types of organizations. I mean, we saw so many challenges and how labor intensive it was to manage all of their activities and programming. They were challenged with expanding their reach across the organization beyond the people who are just ERG members to try to get more people involved. And they didn't have access to really clear data on the overall value and impact of those efforts. And of course, in a lot of the cases, when we were talking to these ERGs, the tools that they were using, I mean, were so archaic, they were so narrow, and it felt like ERGs were almost put into this box and not something designed to really reach people outside of the members of the ERGs. So that's where our software is designed in a way that is not exclusive to just ERGs, which then allows those leaders in the groups to really accomplish the mission that they care about and having diversity, equity, inclusion really be embedded into the fabric of the organization. So in a nutshell, it's a platform that can uncover more about who people are. It creates and organizes all types of activities and programs in a nice centralized and interactive way. And it really captures rich data to measure the ROI and impact of those efforts. That's great. You know, I understand that one of the features of your program is that it captures quite a bit of deep information about participants. You basically are collecting a lot of deep data that lends itself easily for use in organizational network analysis. Tell us a little more about that type of rich data that you are collecting in your program. That is such an important part of that reach question that we had to solve very early on. In order to get more people involved in these efforts, we saw that you really had to expand the view of who your people are beyond the traditional views of identity. You have to capture more about people's interests, their passions, their skills, their talents, because that allows you to really expand the opportunities for bringing people together. And I think one of your guests, uh, Dr. Inger Carboni, I think she touched on that in finding the hidden commonalities between people can really help to bind them together in a much more cohesive, meaningful way. And so what we do is we'll first sync the data from a company's HR system to, or their single source of truth to grab the key employee attributes like name, department, title, location, sort of those basic attributes of who an employee is. And then on day one, when someone joins Culture HQ, we then quickly capture a person's interests, passions, skills, talents in a very consumer-like way that people are used to when they sign up for other apps. And as a result, we're able to capture a much more personal and comprehensive view of who someone is right from the start. This information, it's bringing to light who people actually are and the unique characteristics that each person can bring to a company. And really it just, it creates a more authentic view of people that allows to feel much more human as compared to that traditional static profile. And so when you have all this data, it really can be used in profound ways, as you can imagine. It helps ERGs create programs, that not only align and match to these interests, but then it allows them to really promote the things that they're doing to many more people across the organization. And on the flip side, for employees, we're able to show the, these employees the data in a very unique way so that they can see those commonalities that they have with each other, which then in actuality helps them realize all those hidden commonalities that they have with people that they really were not aware of before. And, and so this is something that can really help diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders create that intersectionality between the groups that they're trying hard to do. And as we all know, people only view each other based on how they see and perceive the other person 
as it appears on the surface. And in a company, it's hard not to do that when you have very limited information on who these people are. So generally speaking, if you can unearth those hidden commonalities, that that provides so much opportunity for people to connect in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's great. You know, I mentioned to one of the people that I interviewed earlier in this podcast how I found in my own experience situations where I've met people that I, I don't believe I, I, I thought I had anything in common with them until I discovered some hidden trait or some hidden preference or some uh, some hidden common interest that we both had. And then all of a sudden, that became the basis for creating some affinity. So I can really see how powerful that is. So let's say I have an executive speaker coming to my event. Now, normally, you know, an executive speaker comes in and we know that she or he is the head of marketing and they give a presentation and then they leave. And that's pretty much the end of it. And we remember the presentation as being really great, that we had a great time, but that's about the extent of it. But using your tool that you just described, I can have that person register into the system. And then I could conceivably use that information to make members, as well as that executive visitor, aware of some hidden commonalities that they might have. And that might form a basis for a relationship or a basis for them finding some common ground for affinity, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the the interesting part about that is because we're surfacing this information very quickly, I mean, we do capture a lot on hidden commonalities because we're able to get past the two, three interests that someone would normally surface. We're able to collect 10, 15, 20 interests of folks, which allow you to really dig into those hidden things that are very unique uh, to different people. And so for a speaker and for an audience, there's going to be so much overlap that people don't really know about each other. And the way that our platform can do it too, is it, it actually alerts individuals when someone else selects one of those interests when they sign up and join Culture HQ so that you can then see other folks that have that that similar unique interest. So you can use it in, in so many ways, but yeah, the speaker could learn more about the audience that he's talking to and try to create subgroups within um, the, the workshop or whatever and vice versa as people are networking and connecting with each other during that activity, then they'll be able to see those commonalities of like, let me take a look at at Joe's profile. And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that we both love knitting. Um, that's such a unique interest, but you'll be able to see that uh, on Culture HQ. Yep. And now everybody who's listening to the podcast knows about my love for knitting as well. <laughs> and mine too. <laughs> well, now, you know, this is pretty powerful and I could see how it's powerful for the person who runs the ERG. And of course, having something that gives you that much power to be able to understand the other people that are around you and be able to form those connections is probably a good lure for getting people to use it, for getting people to put their data in there so that they can share it with others and see other people's data. But I would imagine that this also provides a tremendous amount of power to people who, let's say, for example, are chief diversity officers or others in the organization, because it gives them a window into all these different activities that are going on and the players and the participants and the different traits that they're bringing into it. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good point. So one of the interesting things for us is when we're thinking about how do we truly measure and visualize impact of a lot of the things that the chief diversity officer is doing, uh, throughout the organization, like all those initiatives, all those programming, all those activities and events and workshops that they're doing, it's hard to ultimately see the participants who's actually involved and who are you reaching. So with Culture HQ, I mean, we're able to 
sort of dissect a lot of the different identity attributes of who people are, like the department, where they're based, what their interests and skills are, which then can help you sort of think about when you're creating programs, you can see who you are having opportunities to reach. And so when you're creating programs, you're tagging different things in Culture HQ, which help you to see the ultimate view of who are you reaching across your organization beyond departments and locations and interests. And as a result, the way that our system works at the end of these activities and, and programs, through our, our analytics and feedback, you can then start seeing, all right, who do we actually reach? Are we just doing the same things for the same group of people? Or are we actually making an impact beyond just these ERGs? Are we reaching people in the sales organization, the marketing organization, in the customer service? Are we reaching people that normally wouldn't be impacted by or normally wouldn't be involved in these activities? So Culture HQ is helping you to not only at the front end, make sure that you are creating things that are more inclusive and diverse and including more people, but then it's actually helping you to me measure and visualize, all right, who are we actually reaching? Are we doing a good job? Or are we still only reaching a subsector of the population? Yeah, that's great. This is like real-time organizational network analysis that at any time you can pull up that information, take a look at it, and you can actually see the living, breathing organizational network and where the connections are and what they're doing and how they're relating to each other. So that's fantastic. So I happen to know that you're looking for organizations that have ERGs that can test drive this software. And right now, the people who are listening to this program have a great opportunity to start reaping those benefits offered by that tool by becoming these beta testers and getting it for free. So how can listeners reach you to learn more about this free offer? So you can reach out to me directly, if you'd like, through my email address, which is brian at culturehq.com. Or you can feel free to check out my LinkedIn. Feel free to connect with me there. You can visit our website at culturehq.com. And we have several different things that you can view on our website. We have a diversity inclusion landing page that talks through some of these specifics. And we have a new survival guide that helps come up with creative ideas for uh, different ways to connect your people during these crazy unprecedented times during COVID-19. And like you had mentioned, we're, we're willing to help as best as we can for anybody. So, I mean, we're willing to offer our software for free, like you had said, especially during these unprecedented times uh, where it's needed even more so. That's fantastic. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. So here's what I got out of the second half of this episode. One, organizational network analysis has a lot of practical value to offer organizations. Two, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts and ERGs can especially benefit. Diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders can get a data-supported snapshot of their inclusion condition. Likewise, ERGs can get a data-supported sense of how well their networks are integrated across various demographics in the company, including leadership levels. Three, once you find inclusion gaps in your network, you can start to take intentional steps to fill them by targeting and connecting the people you need in your network. Four, the key to bringing people into your network tent that may not feel like they have anything in common with other members is to surface hidden common traits that can serve as affinity bridges. 
And five, you can spend hours collecting all this information in a spreadsheet and then sharing it using email, or you can take advantage of platforms like Culture HQ, which for a limited time, you can get for free. A recent article in Entrepreneur Magazine cited a Deloitte 2019 Global Human Capital Trends Survey that showed that 80% of respondents felt the need for leaders to replace their old models of leading. One of the things that they noted was the need to use things like organizational network analysis to understand and create a more nurturing and a more inclusive work culture, especially with so many people becoming remote workers. Now, large-scale change like this across organizations with thousands of employees is not easy. But what about if instead of trying to boil the ocean, we began by introducing these new ways of looking at groups of people and improving their ability to engage, support, nurture, and be inclusive with ERGs? I think this is a great opportunity for ERG leaders with the support of their diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders to take the lead in this all-important organizational transformation. Using the science and the tools that we've talked about, you can follow the advice of Gandhi and become the change that you want to see in the world. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. By the way, Contact me if you're looking for an ERG symposium keynote or a leader for your strategy workshop, new chair onboarding, and or ERG bootcamp. I can run these for you either in person or in a virtual setting. Also, for more great ideas and tips for your ERGs, get my book, Supercharge Your ERGs, 18 Tips to Power Up Your ERG Strategy on Amazon.com. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.